Welcome back to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. Now, whether you're listening to this on a Friday morning or a Saturday, maybe Sunday, I can ensure you this, there's nothing like a Wednesday night Bible study at LCC. I hope you enjoy the podcast. So, uh... Somebody start uh, and just read uh, John 18, 28. Before dawn, they took Jesus from his trial before Caiaphas to the Roman governor's palace. Now the Jews refused to go into the Roman governor's residence to avoid ceremonial defilement before eating the Passover meal. You know, last time that we met, Angel made a good point. And what her point was is, you know, they... It, because it was Passover, it was uh, they didn't want to be defiled, so they uh, wouldn't be able to have the meal. That's really what it was about. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so it would have defiled them to go into a Gentile's home because they were Jewish. Um, and you have to think, what was a Gentile to them? Non-Jew. It was a non-Jew, yes, but in their mind, mm-hmm. they were heathens, no. they were pagans, mm-hmm. you know? And what Gentile, uh, the word in Hebrew is goyim, and uh, so, or goyim, it actually means nations. It just means the other nations, but in their mind, uh, they were thinking heathens, pagans. And so they didn't want to go into their house, but they had no problem putting to death an innocent man. I know, it was all about food, but they weren't seeing what they were doing was wrong, you know. So somebody read 29 through 32. (laughs) Sorry. So Pilate came outside where they waited and asked them pointedly, tell me what exactly is the accusation that you bring against this man? What has he done? They answered, we wouldn't be coming here to hand over this criminal to you if he wasn't guilty of some wrongdoing. Pilate said, very well, then you take him yourselves and go pass judgment on him according to your Jewish laws. Then the Jewish leader complained and said, we don't have legal authority to put anyone to death. You should have him crucified. Yes, one more verse. This was to fulfill the words of Jesus when he predicted the manner of death that he would die. Okay. Now, the thing is, is uh, the Jewish law permitted them to stone someone to death. So they could kill Jesus mm-hmm. and, and, and be fine with that. They could not crucify him. They wanted to crucify him. Uh, they wanted, well, not just that, but they wanted it to be put on a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a crucifixion. One of the things, and well, even I'm not going to go into the gruesome details this time. Yeah, because we did that last time. Mm-hmm. We're not. It wasn't that long ago we did that. Uh, and even with the the vlogging and all that, we're not going to go into that this time either. Um, but when they would crucify someone, the movies don't do it the way that actually it was done. Um, the way that it really was done, even according to bones that they have found, 
um, the cross was not even necessarily like what we think of like a cross. Mm -hmm. It was more like a T. And uh, it was just right off the ground. And that was part of the torture because they felt like they could just step down and be off the cross, mm. you know? Mm. And it was it was almost, not at eye level, but very close mm. to the people who were passing by. It was all right into the entrance to the city because it was a deterrent to everyone else to keep the law. Was that part of the chosen where he's walking in? That's yes, that is accurate, yes. Most of the time when they put him on this really high cross, mm -hmm. you know, it's not accurate. That wouldn't have been how it actually happened. Okay. Um, in the Passion Translation, they have the commentary. It says, the Jewish law permitted death by stoning, not by crucifixion. The scriptures had prophesied that he would be pierced and crucified. If you'll remember last time we read Isaiah 53, and Psalm 22, and those are scriptures that very are very specific to tell you the things that he uh, was fulfilling, right? Um, I think in in Psalm 22, there are something like, I think it's close to 30 things he fulfilled on the cross, even to the exact words that he spoke. Uh, yeah, it's amazing, the accuracy of the word. This was the cruel manner of death, crucifixion, used by the Romans to execute the worst of criminals. For this reason, they wanted Pilate to order his crucifixion. Now, if we look at John, so look at John 12, verses 32 through 34. And what that's going to do is it's going to tell us where Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen to him. All these things had to be fulfilled. Uh-huh. John twelve, thirty-two through thirty-four. And I will do this when I am lifted up off the ground, and when I draw the hearts of people to gather them to me. He said this to indicate that he would die by being lifted up on the cross. People from the crowd spoke up and said, Die? How could any how could the anointed one die? The word of God says that the anointed one will live forever with us. But you just said that the Son of Man must be lifted up from the earth. And who is this Son of Man anyways? So, you know, that is so hard. And we've talked about it. They had the two Messiah theory um, because they had so many Old Testament prophecies. What the, the two Messiah theory is, they couldn't figure out how one Messiah could do all of these things. So they divided it into two. And they thought, okay, you have the conquering king, who is the Messiah, son of David. And then you have the suffering servant, who is the Messiah, son of Joseph. And although Jesus' stepfather was Joseph, that's not the Joseph they were talking about. They were talking about the Joseph that was sold into slavery into Egypt and then became second in command uh, in Genesis. And so uh, Jesus, his first time, and actually, they had it pretty right for the most part. He did it, he's going to do it in two different times of coming, and it is separated. He came first to be the suffering servant. And so here in verse 34 where it says, uh, how could the anointed one die? The anointed one die. The word of God says that the anointed one will live with us forever. 
Well, you know what? It does say that. And so they're not wrong. Uh, and some places that it says that is like wondering, for instance, is in Daniel, um, where it talks about messianic kingdoms that will uh, break apart all of the other kingdoms of the earth and it will be established forever. You know, and then there would be a son of David who would always be on the throne of David forever. Uh, and will he do that? Yes. He just hasn't done that yet. And so he came as a suffering servant and later will be the, the conquering king. Okay, so let me share some background about Pilate because we're about to be introduced to him. So we need to understand a little bit about him. Right. Uh, this is coming from uh, Rick Renner. Uh, it's Sparkling Gems from the Greek, uh, the first book. Hey, Andrew. Hello. So it says, at the time of Jesus's ministry on earth, Israel was overwhelmed with scads of leaders who were obsessed with the notion of holding on to the reins of power. This paranoia was so epidemic that it had spread to both the religious and political world. The high priest, along with his scribes and elders, was suspicious and paranoid of anyone who appeared to be growing in popularity. The political leaders installed by Rome to preside over Israel were just as paranoid, looking behind every nook and cranny for opponents and constantly struggling every day of their lives to keep power in their grip. Israel was under the enemy control of Rome, an occupying force that the Jews despised. They hated Rome, pushing language and culture on them for the taxes that they were required uh, to pay to Rome. And that's just a few of the reasons the Jews hated the Romans. Because of the political turmoil in Israel, few political leaders from Rome held power for very long. And those who succeeded did so using cruelty and brutality. The land was full of revolts, rebelliousness, insurgencies, assassinations, and endless political upheavals. The ability to rule long in this environment required a ruthless, self-centered leader who was willing to do anything necessary to maintain a position of power. This leads us to Pontius Pilate, who was just that type of man. Because we kind of get a picture, oh, he was a nice man. He wanted to let Jesus go, right? No, <laughs> it was not that way at all. Um, after Herod Archelaus, one of the three sons of Herod the Great, Judea was placed in the care of a Roman curator. This was a natural course of events, for the Roman Empire was already divided into approximately 40 provinces, each governed by a procurator, a position that was equivalent to a governor. So that's easier for us to understand. It was normal for a procurator, procurator to serve in this position for 12 to 36 months. Pilate, he learned to play the game so well that he governed Judea for 10 years. Yes, from the years 26 to 36 AD. That tells us that he was there for the entire time of Jesus' ministry. So he would have heard about him. Yeah. What was the average time? Uh, 12 to uh, 36 months. So a year to three years. Yeah, that was it. But he, he was much longer. Um, 
The Jewish historian Flavius Josephus noted that Pilate was ruthless and unsympathetic and that he failed to comprehend and appreciate how important the Jews' religious beliefs and convictions were to them. In addition to the normal responsibilities a procurator possessed, Pilate also ruled as a supreme authority in legal matters. As an expert at Roman law, many decisions were brought to him for final judgment. Because of his high-ranking legal position, he had the final say-so in nearly all legal affairs for the territory of Judea. However, even though Pilate held this awesome legal power in his hands, he dreaded cases having to do with religion and often permitted such cases to be passed into the court of the Sanhedrin, over which Caiaphas, the high priest, presided. So they actually knew each other well. Pilate lived at Herod's palace located in Caesarea. Because it was the official residence of the procurator, a military force of about 3,000 Roman soldiers was stationed there to protect the Roman governor. Pilate disliked the city of Jerusalem and recoiled from making, uh, from going there. But at the time of the feast, when the city of Jerusalem was filled with guests, travelers, and strangers, there was a greater potential of unrest, turbulence, and disorders. So Pilate and his troops of 3,000, right, uh, would come into the population. This was the reason Pilate was in the city of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. As a highly political man, Pilate knew how to play the political game. The Jews he ruled were also well-versed at playing the political game with him. In fact, so many complaints had been filed in Rome about Pilate's unkind and ruthless style of ruling that the threat of an additional complaint was often all that was needed for the Jews to manipulate Pilate to do their bidding. This no doubt affected Pilate's decision to crucify Jesus. We'll get more to that later. That day, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, and the entire mob insisted that Jesus be crucified. Pilate wanted to know the reason for this demand. So they answered him, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute, to give tax to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Christ, the Messiah, a king. Okay. So they're, do you see what they're, they're doing? They're not paying, he's not paying, telling people not to pay taxes, and he's a king. So he is uh, in opposition to uh, Caesar. Making him look like a threat. Yes, exactly. And so they're, they're doing their job well. Mm -hmm, that's exactly what they're doing. Pilate knew the Jews were jealous of Jesus. But politically, the charges were brought against Jesus. They put him into a very bad position. What if the news reached Rome, reached Rome that Jesus had perverted the nation, reaching the people to withhold their taxes and claimed to be a counter king in place of the Roman emperor? It would be political suicide for Pilate to do nothing about that kind of situation. The Jewish leaders were well aware of this when they fabricated these charges against Jesus. They knew exactly what political strings to pull to get Pilate to do what they wanted, and they were pulling every string they held in their hands. Okay, so let's go to John 18, and somebody read 33 through 36. 
He said this to indicate that he would die be, by being lifted up on the cross. People from the crowd spoke. Am I on the right one? Uh, upon hearing this? No, sorry. That's okay. John 18? Yes, 33. 12. Oh. <laughs> but we were there. Yeah. Like we've already done that one. You haven't started in here yet, have you? Uh, well, not very far at all. Okay. Yeah. So, so upon hearing this, Pilate, yes. Pilate went back inside his palace and summoned Jesus, looking, looking him over. Pilate asked him, are you really the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, are you asking because you really want to know, or are you only asking this because others have said it about me? Pilate responded, only a Jew would care about this. Do I look like a Jew? It's your own people and your religious leaders that have handed you over to me to tell me, Jesus, what have you done wrong? Jesus looked at Pilate and said, The royal power of my kingdom realm doesn't come from this world. If it did, then my followers would be fighting to the end to defend me from the Jewish leaders. My kingdom realm authority is not from this realm. Okay. Now, both places in that verse, it says kingdom realm, right? Now, there is a specific word. It says the royal power of my kingdom realm, and then later... Um, my followers will be fighting to the to defend me. Mm-hmm. I, my kingdom realm authority. Okay, so uh, the word for kingdom realm is basilia. I can spell that. It is B A S I L E I A. Basilia. What's the church? Oh, oh no! What she's thinking of is in Rome, uh, the Basilica. That's what. Uh huh. And you know what? It may be from that. Yeah, it could be. She's talking about um, Peter's Basilica, uh, where the Pope lives, is in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. But Basilia, here's what it means. Here's what he's saying. His kingdom is a royal power kingship. Uh, it's a dominion, a rule, but it's not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. And, you know, one of the things that, what did, do you remember the last few weeks? What did Jesus always say? I am not of this. Whoa. What was the word cosmos. for world? Cosmos. cosmos. What does cosmos mean? Everything. Okay, Stars. Go, give me more. Universe. The universe. It could be also translated universe. It could be translated as the entire physical realm. And so what he's saying is, my kingdom is not of the physical realm. Right? He is talking about a different realm. And that's where his kingdom is. Do you know this is the exact same word in Luke? Uh, I believe it's in Luke 17, where it says uh, the kingdom of God is within you. Very same word, kingdom, Basilia. Can you say the description of Basilia? Yes. It is the royal power, kingship, dominion, rule, not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. And then he even says, 
This is the royal power of my kingdom realm. My Basilia doesn't come from this cosmos, mm -hmm. from this world. And so that's exactly what he's saying. Where in Luke did you say it was? Uh, I believe it's Luke 17, 21. But I would look that up to make sure. But I believe that's where it is. Yeah, you won't be able to say here it is or it's over there for the kingdom of God is already among you. And that word for kingdom is basilia. Well, it's talking about it's it's a different realm. So we have a different realm that kingdom that lives within us. Do you remember that one picture that I had that one time? It was like a guy in a business suit and he you know how like Superman he would tear open his shirt and then you see the big S, right? For Superman. But in this picture it had like um like a, a picture of what uh, heaven would look like and he was opening his shirt and then he had heaven within him you know and do we not have the same but we do because we have um, in John one of the things that he emphasizes we have Holy Spirit living within us right and then what it says is it says in Jesus and Father that they would make their home within us and it was with Holy Spirit. It's all through the Spirit. That's in um, John 16, I believe. I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Actually, it's 14. Look at um, John 14. Somebody read oh, yeah. verses 20 through 23. And I am raised to life again. Is that the one you're talking about? Uh, starting in 20, John 14, mm -hmm. 20. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm, I'm in the NLT. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> so when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandment, commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each each of them. Judas, not Judas, is it's Carrot? Is it correct? No. It's Carrot. Disciple with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? <clears throat> Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My, excuse me. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each one. Each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me, and remember my words are not my own. Okay. Now, in this translation, uh, I love the way you put it. And, and then in the New King James, it says it the very same way, uh, which is beautiful. 
What translation do you have, Joyce? King James. Oh, well, can you read it? Following it. Oh, really? I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, look at, and especially at John 14, 23, and read it from New King James. 14, uh-huh, 23. 14, sorry, I don't know where we were. 14, 23. Uh-huh. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Okay, stop. Eight. Who? We, right? Mm-hmm. Who's the we he's talking about? Who is he talking to? Father and Jesus and Holy Spirit. And we will come to you and make our dwelling place in you, right? Mm -hmm. So they all come because the thing is, is Holy Spirit is not alone. And there are lots of scriptures that tell us this, you know? Uh, How many scriptures say in Jesus that we're in him, you know? I mean... It's throughout the New Testament, right? Uh, And I love, um, it was Rick Renner that actually had this teaching, and I thought, oh, that's so great. He was talking about in Ephesians um, 6, where it's got the the, uh, armor of God. And it says, be strengthened in the strength in the Lord, you know, in Jesus. Um, And he was saying the way that the Greek is constructed it's telling us that we are located, our permanent address, we are located in Jesus. And so it is so easy for us to get a fresh infilling from Jesus because we're like fish living in an aquarium in swimming in water. We're swimming in him. We're breathing him in and breathing him out. You know, like fish breathe in and out water. Um, we are permanently located within him. So that lets us know when the enemy sees us, if we're located in him, what does the enemy see? He sees Jesus. And so if he can ever try to uh, convince us to do anything that is not in line, you know, do we lose our location of being in Jesus? No. Um, we may lose fellowship, but um, the enemy is terrified of us. We have no idea how terrified the enemy is of us. Because he knows that in us, yes, he knows the power. We don't recognize the power. We don't know how very powerful we are. Yes. Do you remember? Think of it like this. Do you remember when the Garden of Gethsemane? How many people did the enemy send to arrest Jesus? Thousands. thousands. You know, and well, no, not thousands. It was 600 of the Roman soldiers. And then we had the temple police on top of that. And then uh, the other people that came. Um, we're looking at probably at least 650, 700 people. And well, and then do you remember the thing is, is then they ask for one man, one man. And then they ask, you know, um, we're looking for Jesus. And he said, I am. And remember, they all went back and they fell backward on the ground. All of them. That would be amazing. And then they 
watch Jesus put the guy's ear back on. And then they still arrest him. Okay, but the thing is, is are they seeing the power of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Are, and, and they're not underestimating him because they're sending all the manpower that they can to get one man with all the weaponry of their day. Right? Okay. Let's let's get back. I don't, ah, I don't know how exactly we got there, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, We're talking oh. about Belisilia. Oh, yes. Belisilia, yes. All right, so let's go to back to John 18. Uh, somebody read 37 and 38 of John 18. And then Pilate responded, Oh, so then you are a king. You are right, Jesus said. I was born a king, and I have come into this world to prove what truth really is. And everyone who loves the truth will receive my words. Pilate looked at Oh, no, go ahead. Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? As silence filled the room, Pilate went back out to where the Jewish leaders were waiting and said to them, he's not guilty. I couldn't even find one fault with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse 37, where it says, where Jesus says, I was born a king and I have come into this world. The word there for world is cosmos. So he's saying, I came into this physical realm, right? That's basically what that's saying. Look in verse 38, and, you know, so Pilate looks at him and says, what is truth? Could Jesus have spoken something? Yes. Yeah. If anybody knew truth, it would be him. He could have said, I am. (laughs) Yeah, it's him. Exactly. But I underlined that next phrase where it says, as silence filled the room because that's actually important you'll see that in a minute that it's important he did not answer but again that's Isaiah 53 where it says he was led away and he was silent as a lamb is before he is slaughtered right when she read that it kind of gave me a little chills (laughs) yeah yeah now again look at the last phrase that he says uh, Pilate goes to the leaders and he says, he's not guilty. I couldn't even find one fault with him. Okay, you have to know Passover because when Jesus came in for the triumphal entry, he came in at the same time as all of the Passover lambs, right? And they were saying the very same thing to Jesus that they were saying to the Passover lambs, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, um, he went into the temple and he was uh, examined by everyone. What they did with the lambs is they took them and they inspected them. The one that was picked for the nation was tied in front of the temple. So everyone that passed by could see that they were perfect. There was no fault because they inspected them for the next four days. And so Jesus is still in the inspection time. Pilate is inspecting him as the Passover lamb. And he is declaring him, look, he's not guilty. I couldn't even find one fault with him. He's perfect. And that's what that's saying. 
and now cut, put that together. Mm -hmm. Those words right there. Mm -hmm. He is speaking. He's spotless. Mm -hmm. He's perfect. All right, 39 and 40. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was a robber. Okay. Now, Barabbas, he is... Uh... Barnabas. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Barabbas is Aramaic. And you have to know, I, it's funny because as I've been studying Hebrew, more and more and more am I seeing the similarities in Aramaic and Hebrew. They are like complete sister languages, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you read Hebrew, then it wouldn't take much at all to get Aramaic at all. <laughs> so, but Barabbas is Aramaic. And what it means is, what does bar mean? Son. 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 Uh -huh. Son of. And then what is Abbas? What is Abba? Father. So Barabbas is the son of the father. So you have one son of the father, which is the bad one, right? And then you have Jesus, who is the spotless lamb, and he is the son of the father. Right? So they're both that. Mm -hmm. But this is interesting. Uh, in the Passion, it has this. We, we did a really cool video last time mm -hmm. when we studied this. Yes. Uh, yes. It was a good one. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in the Passion, it says he becomes this, this bad Barabbas, if we want to call it that. He becomes a picture of every son of Adam. We're a Barabbas. We are, uh, we are sons of our father. Some believe this is a figure of speech, a nickname for one who had no known father, an illegitimate son. Both in Greek and Aramaic, the word for thief or robber can also be one who leads an insurrection. It's also thought that he was a murderer. But he was one that the Jews liked because he was revolting against the Romans. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of like a hero mm -hmm. because he was going against the people that they hated. Mm -hmm. The Romans hated him. But uh, so in Pilate's mind, he's like, oh, well, this will be an easy thing. They'll get the good one and, and then we can kill the bad one. <laughs> right? But that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's go into John 19. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we may, I know the next chapter. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, somebody read the first verse. Then Pilate ordered Jesus to be brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal. Okay. That was uh, this was known uh, as the scorpion. It would have bone, metal, glass, uh, all kinds of different things. It was uh, it was known for cruelty. It would cut through uh, muscles, uh, flesh, everything down to the bone and strip it. 
You know, it was it was a horrible thing. Most of the time, uh, people did not live through it. Uh, one of the things that I will say about this, the Jewish people, they like to think of them as uh, more compassionate. So they would give uh, 40 minus one lashes. So 39 lashes. And uh, it was thought that someone could survive that. And one of the things that's kind of a misconception, um, and I don't know if it's true or not, is what I'm saying. There are supposed to be 39 categories of sicknesses and illnesses. Yeah, and for each one, Jesus bore a stripe. And that would go back to Isaiah 53, 5. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't beaten by the Jews. Not in this way. Not with stripes. He was beaten by the Romans. The Romans didn't have the compassion. They didn't stop at 39. We don't know how many he took. But what we do know is Isaiah 52, like right in the last few verses, it says that he was marred so bad that he was barely recognizable as human. It was that bad. It's not, they don't show that in the movies. Thank God. No, the, probably the closest one would be the passion. Um, but it was worse than that. It was very, very bad. It was complete. He was completely disfigured. Yes. Yeah, but that's all the Jews did. But to the Romans, and the thing about with the Romans, with the whip, you know, the, the post that they put him at, like in the Passion, that is how, how they did it. But that whip would go around and it would cut all kinds of places. It didn't necessarily just get the torso. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not trying to get into a lot of detail, but I'm just saying it was worse than what we have seen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Somebody read verse, uh, verses two through four. And the soldiers also wove thorn branches into a crown and set it on his head and placed a purple robe over his shoulders. And one by one they came in front of him to mock him and by saying, Hail to the king of Jews. And one day, or one after the other, they repeatedly punched him in the face. Once more, Pilate went out and said to the Jewish officials, I will bring him out once more so that you know that I found nothing wrong with him. Again, he's saying, I don't find, I'm not finding anything wrong with him. Uh, look at verse 2 where it says, and they wove thorn branches into a crown. In the Greek New Testament, there are two words for a crown. And so one of those is a diadem. That would be a ruling crown. That's not this. It would be a Stephanos crown, where we get the name Stephen. I know that one well, because I have a son named Stephen. But Stephanos, it would be equivalent to if you were going to or watching the Olympics. In the old days, they used to put the laurel wreath over their head. The laurel wreath, in, in just its value didn't mean anything. It didn't have value. But what it meant being put onto their head, they were an overcomer. 
And so that's what this crown is. It's a Stephanos. It's, uh, it was put on to him. And the thing about it is he wore the Stephanos, the overcomer's crown, before he wears the diadems. You'll get that the second time as the conquering king. Uh, Stephanos is S-T-E-P-H-A-N-O-S. I didn't know after the A. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, the other one is uh, diadem, D-I-A-D-E-M. That's the ruling crown. Uh, D-I-A-D-E-M. So, uh, somebody read verses 6 through, well, 5 and 6. So, when Jesus emerged, bleeding, wearing the the purple robe and the crown of thorns on his head, Pilate said to them, look at him, here here is your man. No sooner did the high priest and the temple guard see Jesus that they all shouted in a frenzy, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate replied, you take him then and nail him to a cross yourselves. I told you he's not guilty. I find no reason to condemn him. Third time. Third time Pilate saying, I see no reason to condemn him. to be like that. Because he's, this, I mean, you're going to see later when we finish his story, he's a cruel man. <laughs> but he's not in this because he is the inspector, right? He is fulfilling scripture. Um, and I thought this was interesting where in verse 5, where Jesus is pre- or he's presenting him as uh, with the purple robe and the crown of thorns. And there he's saying to the Jewish people, look at him. Here is your man. He's fulfilling Zechariah 6.12. In Zechariah 6.12, it says, Tell him, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Here is the man called the branch. He will branch out from where he is and build the temple of the Lord. Does Jesus fulfill that? Yeah, because, you know, who is the temple? Well, now, who is the temple? We. We are. We are the temple of God. Uh, and he is building us. Praise God. And then that's when the the Jewish people were like, uh-uh. <laughs> and so they were, he was attributing that to him. And they, that's when they got into a frenzy. Crucify him. So verses 7 through 11. Jewish leaders shouted back, but we have the law, and according to our law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. Then Pilate was greatly alarmed. When he heard that Jesus claimed to be the son of God, when claimed to be the son of God, so he took Jesus back inside and said to him, where have you come from? But once again, silence filled the room. Right, stop. What religion uh, would Pilate be coming from? Or what religious group? What was he? Well, no, Pilate. 
He was Roman. How many gods did they have? They had a whole lot of gods. They, in fact, they kind of copied the Greek gods. And so the Greek and Roman gods kind of all converged. But did they have like demigods and, you know, did they have sons of gods? Uh, like uh, what Thor is the son of a god uh, of Odin, mm-hmm. but that one, but that's Norse. Uh, and Titans? Uh, well, that, that's mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking who was the son of Zeus, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not that big into Roman mythology because I just never cared. <laughs> I'm just being honest. But if you're going from that and then he's hearing, okay, he's the son of a god, mm-hmm. then that would perk his, his interest because he's Perseus. Perseus. There you go. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know. You know what's so funny? Yes. When I was in high school, my freshman year, we, I guess in English or whatever, we were studying the Greek gods and we all got assigned one and we had to create a Facebook profile for each Greek god. Oh. <laughs> okay. I had Aphrodite. Oh. So that was fun. Yeah. Just sure that'd out. be interesting. That was interesting. Yeah. All right, so that's why he's like, oh, you're a son of God? Tell me about that, right? Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, who Were you reading? I was. I, okay, you were. I don't remember who to, was. To the <laughs> Is that what you said, to the letter? Yes. Okay. Uh, perplexed, Pilate said, are you going to play death? Don't you know that I have the power to grant you your freedom or nail you to a tree? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. This is why the one who betrayed me is guilty of an even greater sin. All right. So look back at verse 9, and I underlined it again, but once again, silence filled the room. He didn't He didn't look up, go for himself. Look in verse 10. Pilate says, don't you know that I have the power? Okay, the word there for power is exousia. So it's not dunamis. It's exousia, which means the right to the might, the right to dunamis power, uh, which is a stronger word. And so Jesus comes right back with the same word. And he says, you would have no power, no exousia, no authority is usually how that's translated over me at all, unless it was given to you. skip that part. All right. So let's go back to um, Oh, let me show you this. This this was interesting. <laughs> My notes are each every which way. So I'm having to Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, somebody read, before we get into this, somebody read Matthew 27, 11 through 14. Eleven? Mm-hmm. Matthew 27, 11 through 14. As Jesus stood in front of the Roman governor, Pilate asked him, So you are the king of the Jews. Jesus answered, you have just spoken it. Then he was accused by the chief priests and religious leaders, but he remained silent. 
Pilate said, Don't you hear these allegations? But Jesus offered no defense to any of the charges, much to great astonishment of Pilate. Why was Pilate astonished? Here's why. There's a reason. According to Roman law. Because remember, he was an expert in Roman law, mm-hmm. right? So Pilate was dumbfounded. This is from Rick Renner, by the way. Pilate was dumbfounded by Jesus' silence because Roman law permitted prisoners three chances to open their mouths to defend themselves. If a prisoner passed up those three chances to speak in his own defense, he would be automatically charged as guilty. In Matthew 27, 11, Jesus passed up his first chance. In Matthew 27, 12, he passed up his second chance. And then in Matthew 27, 14, Jesus passed up his final chance to defend himself. That's why I was underlying silence filled the room. He had to do that. Because mm-hmm. he had to be crucified. Yeah. He was fulfilling his destiny. The words great astonishment or marveled greatly come from the Greek word thamadzo, which means to wonder, uh, to be at a loss of words, to be shocked and amazed. A man like Jesus had never stood before Pilate before, and the governor was obviously disturbed at the thought of murdering him. In fact, Pilate was so disturbed that he proceeded to probe deeper by asking questions. He was looking for a loophole that would enable him to escape this trap that the Jews had set both for Jesus and for himself. Indeed, the Jewish leaders had carefully schemed a trap with three potential results, all of which would make them very happy. The threefold purpose of this trap was as follows. So one thing, to see Jesus judged by the Roman court. This ruining his reputation and guaranteeing his crucifixion, while at the same time vindicating themselves in the eyes of the people. That was their first option. And so to ensure that this happened, the Jewish leaders falsified charges that made Jesus appear to be a bona fide political offender. These were the charges, that he had perverted the whole nation, a religious charge that was the responsibility of the Sanhedrin to judge, that he had commanded people not to pay their taxes to Rome, and that he claimed to be king. According to Roman law, Jesus should be crucified for claiming to be king. If these charges were proven true, Pilate was bound by law to crucify him. If this is what followed, the first purpose of their scheme would have worked. So they won in any of these scenarios. The second scenario, to see Pilate wiped out and permanently removed from power on the charge that he was unfaithful to the Roman emperor because he would not crucify a man who claimed to be a rival king to the emperor. Had Pilate declined to crucify Jesus, this rejection would have given the Jewish leaders the ammunition they needed to prove to Rome that this governor should be removed from power because he was a traitor to the emperor. News would have reached the emperor of Rome that Pilate had permitted a rival king to live, and Pilate would have been charged with treason. It's interesting that this same charge was brought against Jesus. It was a charge that most assuredly would have led to Pilate's own death or banishment. If Jesus was allowed to go free by the Roman court, the Jewish leadership would have been thrilled. 
for then they would have had a legal reason to expel Pilate from their land, which they would love to have done, right? Uh, thus, the second purpose of their scheme would have worked. The third scenario, if that had, those things hadn't worked, to take Jesus back into their own court in the Sanhedrin if Pilate would not crucify him where they had the religious authority to stone him to death for claiming to be the Son of God. The truth is the Jewish leaders never needed to deliver Jesus to Pilate because the court of the Sanhedrin already had the religious authority to kill Jesus by stoning him for claiming to be the Son of God. Even if Pilate refused to crucify Jesus, they finally intended, uh, they finally intended to kill him anyway. So, and we see that in John 19, 7. Jesus, I mean, Pilate even says, well, why don't you just take him and stone him? And they were like, well, no, we don't have the religious authority to, to crucify him. That's what they wanted. So we see that the trip to Pilate's court of law was designed to turn Jesus' arrest into a political catastrophe that would possibly help the Jewish leaders get rid of Pilate as well. But if Jesus had never been freed by the Roman court, they intended to kill him anyway. If he had been freed, I'm sorry, by the Roman court. This was the third part of their scheme. The solution to this mess was easy. All Pilate had to do was crucify Jesus. Then he would have happy Jewish elders on his hands, no charges of treason leveled against him in Rome, strengthened ties to the religious community, and a guarantee of remaining in power. Pilate just had to say, crucify him. And this political game would be over. But he couldn't bring himself to utter those words. All right, so let's go back. We are at uh, 12. John 19, 12. Then on Pilate tried to find a way out of the situation and to get him free. But the Jewish authorities shouted him down. If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is an enemy of the emperor. Mm -hmm. So it spoke to Pilate. Because mm -hmm. he understood. Wasn't Pilate married to... He, his wife had a dream about Jesus, and she even went to him and said, leave this man alone. Remember? She was related to Caesar somehow. That I don't know. I don't know about that. I thought I heard that somewhere. That could be true. I don't know. He, he knew that she would, that, you know, if it wasn't for Caesar, he wouldn't have what he had. So he didn't want to give that up. Somebody read um, the commentary on verse 12 out of the Passion. In essence, these words were a form of blackmail as the Jewish, Jewish authorities were remaining, reminding Pilate that it would ruin his career if he pardoned Jesus. The term friend of Caesar was an honorific title given only to the ruling wealthy class of Romans who would have access to the emperor's court. Many of these friends of Caesar were senators and members of the Equestrian Order, known also as the Knights. Pilate's position was a political appointment due to his, to his being a member of this elite class of Romans 
It took an oath of loyalty to Caesar. They were, in effect, threatening to inform Rome that Pilate was allowing treason in Caesar's empire. As one historical historian remarked, one false move and his appointment would be canceled and his career finished. This overruled Pilate's desire to set Jesus free. He went on to condemn him to death. To place your career over Jesus is never wise. (laughs) So, as a result, he made his decision. So look at verses 13 and 14. So when Pilate heard this threat, he relented and had Jesus, who was torn and bleeding, brought outside. Then he went up the elevated stone platform and took his seat on the judgment bench, which in Aramaic is called Gabbatha, or the bench. And it was now almost noon. And it was the same day they were preparing to slay the Passover lambs. Okay. So the fact that he he sat down on the bench, that was his official statement. He's done. But that's what that was. Um, And then the, the passion, the commentary, Jesus, our Passover lamb, would be crucified at the very moment a Jewish priest were slaughtering lambs in the temple because there were so many lambs to be killed. The priesthood in that day extended the time of slaughter from noon to twilight. That would be 3 p.m. Exactly. The very hours that Jesus was on the cross. And then uh, at the very end of that, then Pilate said to the Jewish officials, look, here is your king. So somebody read 15 and 16. They screamed out, take him away, take him away, and crucify him. Pilate replied, Shall I nail your king to a cross? Pilate please answered, We have no other king but Caesar. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to them, and the soldiers, soldiers seized him and took him away to be crucified. So let me tell you what happened to Pilate. What is his end story? Now he died. Uh-huh. <clears throat> what happened to him? So uh, the Jewish people loathed Pilate for his cruelty and inadequate care of his subjects. The kind of brutality that made him so infamous and hated can be seen in Luke 13, verse 1, where it mentions that Pilate slaughtered a number of Galileans and then mix their blood together with the sacrifices. This doesn't look like the pilot we just looked at, does it? <laughs> yeah. Um, appalling and sick as this act may sound, it's in accordance with many other vicious, vicious actions instigated under Pilate's rule as pure procurator of Judea. Uh, Rick Renner adds, another example of Pilate's callousness can be seen in an incident that occurred when a prophet claimed to possess a supernatural gift that enabled him to locate consecrated vessels, which he alleged had been secretly hidden by Moses. When this prophet announced that he would unearth the vessels, Samaritans turned out in large numbers to observe the event. So, paranoid Pilate 
who thought the entire affair was a disguise for some other political or military activity, dispatched Roman forces to assault and massacre the crowd that had gathered. In the end, it became apparent that nothing political had been intended. The Samaritans felt such a great loss for those who died, they formally requested that the governor of Syria uh, intervene in their case. This compl the, their complaints of Pilate became so numerous that he was eventually summoned to Rome to give account for his action before the emperor Tiberius himself. But before Pilate could reach Rome to counter the charges brought against him, the emperor Tiberius died. Outside the Gospels, Pilate is not mentioned again in the New Testament. Historical records show that the procurator of Syria brought some sort of accusations against Pilate in the year 36 AD. These indictments resulted in his removal from office and exile to Gaul, which is modern-day France. Uh, Eusebius, the well-known early Christian historian, later wrote that Pilate fell into misfortune under the wicked Emperor Caligula and lost many privileges. According to Eusebius, this man Pilate, who was ultimately responsible for the trial, judgment, crucifixion, and burial of Jesus, and who had ruled Judea ruthlessly and mercilessly for 10 years, finally committed suicide. Wow. And that is how he died. And that is where our story ends for tonight. <laughs> So, does anybody have any questions or anything they want to say? Because we covered a lot, and actually not much time. Was Tiberius, did he take over Caesar? Tiberius was a, uh, he was a Caesar. You know, the, the city of Tiberius in Israel is uh, named after him. It's on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. Now, Caligula, the one, uh, I don't know if y'all have heard of him, he... <laughs> he had a mental disorder, and they think that maybe he got into mercury, but he went crazy. And so he was, like, ruthless, like, awful. You, you could Google him, and it'd be like, oh, wow. Uh, but that's the one that sent him to Gaul. How do you spell that name? Caligula? Oh, wait a minute. Let me get to my... <laughs> All right. How do you spell his name? C-A-L. Where's your husband? I G U L A. Caligula. C A L I G U L A. The Passion Bible is what takes. Oh, that's only the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon. Yeah. It's not finished completely um, uh, translated yet. Oh, we're ready for yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Las Casas Community Church podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Las Casas Community Church. Be sure to like, 
share, follow, and leave a review for our podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to answer those for you. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.